What is public theology? How can the church move from not only doing theology within the context of the church and the academy, but to also do theology that benefits the common good? And how can we do public theology when the church in the Western world is suffering from a serious credibility problem? In this podcast, we're going to answer these and other questions. Stay tuned. This is the Multi-Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. This is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters, and I'm the host, John Moorhead, and I'm happy today to have as a return guest, Dr. Ted Peters, and I'll read some of his uh, bio here. Uh, Ted Peters teaches systematic theology and ethics at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. He co-edits the journal Theology and Science at the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. He's the author of God, the World's Future, Systematic Theology for a New Era, and God in Cosmic History, Where Science and History Meet Religion. He is co-author of Evolution from Creation to New Creation. Along with colleagues, he has edited Astrotheology, Science and Theology Meet Extraterrestrial Life, as well as Astrobiology, Science, Ethics, and Public Policy. Ted, welcome back to the podcast. John, it's good to be with you once again. Well, in the past, you and I discussed a fascinating topic of UFOs and astrotheology. One of my favorite topics. (laughs) It is mine, too. We're not going to delve into that today. But you uh, recently did a a blog post looking at public theology, which was fascinating. And one of the links that you posted was to an article that you wrote. And this will all be in the program notes for, for folks to seek out. You wrote an article in the International Journal of Public Theology, titled Public Theology, It's Pastoral, Apologetic, Scientific, Political, and Prophetic Tasks. And that is just a great uh, piece there. And I'm hoping that through some of our conversation today, we can kind of tease out some of the what public theology is and its significance for the church and for outside of the church. I, obviously, it wouldn't be public if it was just for the church. But uh, to begin, uh, how did you come to develop an interest in and see the significance of public theology? In large part, I've always uh, been a theologian of culture in the tradition of Reinhold Niebuhr, Paul Tillich, and uh, Langdon Gilkey. And even though they didn't use the term public theology, they were speaking from and to uh, the wider culture. And if you think about those theologians uh, between the two world wars and right after the uh, Second World War, uh, peace and uh, whether or not America should get involved in the war, these were unavoidable issues. Could you bring the resources of systematic theology to bear. And of course, anthropology is the big one. What's human nature? Can we predict violence, etc.? And I went to the University of Chicago, and uh, that's where this kind of uh, theology of culture was very much uh, alive. That article that you just mentioned in, in the International 
uh, Journal of Public Theology is my manifesto, so to speak, what I think the public theologian should be responsible for. Could you uh, define public theology? It might on the surface seem like, well, it's just theology for the public, but it's a little more complex than that. How are you defining it and how does it relate to other spheres in which the church does theology and perhaps maybe more comfortable and used to doing theology? Public theology, as I see it, is conceived in the church. It's critically honed in the academy, and then it's offered uh, to the wider culture for the sake of the common good. And those are the three publics that <clears throat> my doctor father at the University of Chicago, David Tracy, had identified, and we need to conceive it in the church where we have the resources of scripture and tradition and theology and uh, critical intellectual thinking, especially when the church overlaps with the university, etc. But then <clears throat> it's offered to the world, hopefully, the theologian has got some inside of value for somebody outside the church. When it's offered for the world, it's offered in the name of the common good. Uh, critics of um, traditional religion uh, are usually critical because traditional religion looks sectarian, selfish, institutionally uh, selfish. And so it's very important that it's the common good. Uh, inclusive of uh, all peoples and actually inclusive of the ecosphere uh, that uh, the public theologian should be contributing to. And it should be obvious that uh, the public theologian is concerned about the common good of uh, all of us. This might seem like another obvious definitional question, but I've gotten some pushback at times from those when I talk about the need in the context I work in to pursue forms of multi-faith encounter that, that work through difference for the common good. And the pushback is, well, what common good? I mean, come on, we, we, gotta, we have to do what we have to do for the betterment of the church, otherwise we're compromising our mission. How are we defining common good? Well, <clears throat> I think uh, you've got uh, two issues, issues there. One is perspectivalism, that is to say, oh, we don't have a common good because we have multiple perspectives. Um, and then um, you can uh, accuse anyone <laughs> of uh, talking about the common good of, as having his or her their own uh, perspective, and therefore it's impossible to be uh, common. I believe in transcendence, and I'm going to go back to Plato rather than the Bible. Justice is transcendent. Goodness is transcendent. Truth is transcendent. We all can judge anything that is perspectival according to these uh, transcendental uh, verities, it seems to me. And our different religious traditions, whether they're uh, Asian or Western, uh, have a version of reliance upon transcendent standards for evaluation. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's impossible for people of different traditions and perspectives to agree on the common good. Justice, 
justice is the measure of every injustice. And uh, John, you've had enough experience uh, with people of different religious traditions. They don't have any trouble if they're in the room together agreeing on what justice is, do they? Uh, and so it seems to me that the common good is not that difficult uh, to arrive at. In addition, <laughs> when I think about corrupt politicians, of which <laughs> we have a lot these days, notice none of them will say in public, I am a selfish, racist bigot, and I want to steal money from the working class. They don't say that. Oh, no. They say they are in favor of justice and equality and things like that. But then they blow this little dog whistle. <laughs> uh, so um, even um, the crooks have to appeal to the same common good that people of goodwill do. Yeah, since you mentioned politicians, and I think it's this, the same thing can be said in religious contexts and Christian contexts. Perhaps the, the concern, the issue isn't that we can't define and recognize the common good. It's that we're too polarized and tribalized that only my tribe is concerned for the common good. The, the other may say they are, but they're really just looking out for their own self-interest. Is there any merit to that idea? I, I find this uh, puzzling. On the one hand, if you think of economic self-interest, those... Um, who have bought our congressmen, uh, congresswomen, and uh, uh, senators who have bought them, uh, you know, petroleum industry and uh, uh, military contractors, et cetera. You could say, well, I do understand why they purvey lies um, uh, on infinitum, but what about this marriage between evangelicals and the Republican Party? Evangelicals don't have a financial interest. And evangelicals, as important as the pro-life position is, you can't reduce the evangelical gospel to that one issue. So I, I am puzzled uh, about why uh, we do have that polarization. Now, we know historically that it was a deal between Jimmy Schweigert and um, uh, Ronald Reagan to deliver uh, the uh, the evangelicals for the Republican vote. You know, but that's 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why haven't uh, things, uh, things changed? Uh, and why haven't, why don't the evangelicals stand up with some level of moral integrity. I have to say, John, I'm just puzzled. I'd, I'd like to know, do you have any observations you could help me with? Well, unfortunately, I think there's been a, you know, it always comes across in the language of faith, but I really yeah. think there's been a, a conflation of faith identities and political identities. And unfortunately, at least on the right, many times politics is, political ideology is the primary contributing factor where there's no ability to sit back and think critically on let their faith tradition critique the political ideology. That's right. That's that's so important, and that's what's missing in this uh, polarization that you describe. In the one of the many interesting things you write about in this uh, journal article is you talk about that the public theologian contributes one voice among many. And at one point in the, the blog post where you're talking about it, you write, there is no global choir, no unison, no harmony, only cacophony. 
So the question that comes out of that is, how does the public theologian contribute something to this that will seek to serve the public good and be heard by as many as possible? Well, <clears throat> the point with there's no global choir is there's actually no authority uh, that everyone listens to in any field, whether it's uh, religion, politics, uh, economics, uh, arts. Uh, maybe the scientists have a slight uh, edge up uh, on the rest of us, but even science has undergone over the last 10 years uh, the threat of uh, fake news and pseudoscience, etc. So uh, pluralism is simply the order of the day, and anyone who wants to speak publicly, a theologian or other, must accept the pluralistic setting, which means we can't rely on the authority of the Bible, we can't rely on the authority of the Pope. Um, we have to be one voice among many. So if we're going to get heard, um, I think two things obtain. One is that we need to speak for the common good, and I believe the common good will automatically draw people of goodwill uh, to want to uh, listen. Um, then uh, secondly, uh, what the public theologian says needs to be rational, <laughs> uh, reasonable, persuasive, um, not in the sense of trying to make converts to your ideology, but in the sense that there's wisdom here. And I do believe the Christian theologian, and this can be true for uh, other religious traditions as well, have gained wisdom over the centuries about human nature. And uh, one of the things that appears in ideological conflicts is sort of a denial or a naivete about human nature. And it would seem to me that um, people of great religious insight could contribute those insights to the public discourse and raise the level of shared understanding uh, about the human condition. And all that's reasonable. It's not sectarian. Uh, all of that is reasonable, and it seems to me that's a, uh, it's, it's idealistic in the sense, oh, maybe people will just shut us off. Well, okay, but on the other hand, why be quiet? John, in some ways, uh, you and uh, your podcast are trying to do exactly that, are you not? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, it seems to me that one of the challenges for conservative Christians uh, particularly evangelicals, is the assumptions about what the common good needs. Well, they need to get saved, and therefore this is a, uh, an opportunity to be evangelistic. And, and you're you're arguing that this is not the context. So might the biblical passage to everything, there is a, there's a season, right? There's a time and place for everything. And when it comes to trying to be a public theologian, that is not the context in which to be evangelistic. It's time to wear another hat and pursue another course. Would that be correct? You you say it very articulately. That's, uh, that's good. I mean, I believe that the evangel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is very important. It makes people's lives better to experience God's grace and to live out of God's grace, and that is such an important mission of uh, the Christian church. There's no question about it. 
Um, however, uh, switching, taking off that hat, putting on the other hat with regard to um, the common good, you're right. Um, we don't want uh, people uh, to automatically suspect and when engaged in public theology that you've got a kind of secret uh, proselytizing mission there. Uh, that loss of integrity uh, really creates problems. Now, I'm a Lutheran. <clears throat> We, we uh, have these two categories, the law and the gospel. <laughs> and the law is universal. Uh, everyone, every culture in the world has some intuitive uh, grasp of God's law, that you love your neighbor and uh, that you do justice and uh, compassion is a good thing. Um, and in some ways, I'll say that the work of the public theologian is primarily the work of God's law. Now, the gospel is due to special revelation. What happened on the cross tells us that God is compassionate and forgiving. That's the special Christian message. There are times in which we have to wear our gospel hat as well, but the public theologian is primarily dealing positively in the domain of God's law, I think. Now, this next question is going to make conservatives in my audience uh, go nuts, but you mentioned uh, the role of so social justice in public theology. How is social justice not a dirty word? It's not something that is the sole purview of the left or the woke. It's been a part of the Judeo-Christian tradition for as long as it's been around. What, what role does that play in public theology? Well, I think it's uh, decisive uh, for one reason, as I had mentioned earlier, um, looking at Plato or Plato's gift to us is justice is an eternal verity. And actually, you can get that in the Torah and the ancient Hebrew scriptures as well. It's said slightly differently. <laughs> But God's justice judges your and my human failures at justice. And uh, <clears throat> so there's no question. I, again, the Lutherans call this God's law. The Lutherans are not alone. But it is, it is universal. You don't need special revelation to realize that justice uh, is a, a transcendent uh, criterion by which we evaluate um, all human uh, situations. Yes, yeah, since the Second World War, it has been the left side of the spectrum in both Roman Catholic and uh, liberal Protestant circles to champion social justice. And I think this, this flag uh, began to be waved with great vigor during the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s and has continued right down to the present day. And our liberation theologians are the ones that probably we rely on the most um, for doing this. I think a conservative is, if he, she, or they think about it, is just as concerned about justice uh, deeply, and why um, in uh, recent decades social justice has become the badge worn by liberals and progressives and not a badge worn by conservatives and evangelicals. Uh, again, it, pu it puzzles me. Justice is just as godly as love and compassion. So, Yeah. I wish I had more answers for you. <laughs> your, your title in the journal article talks about public theology 
in a number of different ways. It says also in, in, in a political and prophetic task, how can we articulate a public theology in the political realm that avoids polarization and is also prophetic? We um, had developing in the 1960s, and there are still residuals of it in liberation theology, we, we had developing political theology. And that political theology, which began in Europe and then spread to Latin America, began with an eschatological vision of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom that's ruled by justice and love. <laughs> and uh, that provided the leverage, so to speak, to judge and evaluate our temporal kingdoms, our temporal governments, and uh, the, the world order. And remember, that was a period of time in which decolonialization um, was, uh, was taking place. Well, political theology has continued in kind of a wimpy form uh, down to the present time. Public theology wants to include the best of that version of political theology, and that includes the prophetic leverage. And uh, this is where the critical thinking of the university is important because you can distinguish between truth and lies. <laughs> and the first thing that public theologian needs to do, like every political theologian, is point out the lies <laughs> that our leadership continues to tell us, it doesn't matter whether the Republican or Democrat, we're getting lies all the time, and it's only worse in our period of social media. So I think the first thing uh, of a prophetic nature the public theologian needs to do is to constantly uh, point out lies, and then, as we've already discussed, measure current events according to the standards of justice. Well, it seems to me in our present American political context that this task of the public theologian and being prophetic in a political context is not only outward for the public uh, good, but also comes full circle back to the church, and the church needs to hear this prophetic critique of its own stance. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> well, um, the church is also a public. Sure. In, in the case of my church, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, it kind of looks like American society. <laughs> it looks sort of like the Democratic Party at prayer sometimes, you know, but uh, the issues of uh, justice and truth-telling and things are within the church just as they are within the larger society. So, yes, uh, prophetic judgment needs to be rendered. Uh, against the faithful as well. But what we can rely on within the church, at least I hope we can, uh, is that the Holy Spirit will cultivate our values, our, our better angels, uh, so to speak, uh, and uh, make us uh, immediately proactive uh, in, in this regard. Now, those are my hopes, and some days those hopes are fulfilled eminently, and other days I get disappointed, but you're right, uh, the prophetic work within the church looks a lot like it does in the wider society. Now, in America and the West, we now live in a post-Christendom context. I don't think we're post-Christian yet. The church still has significant influence on the way the culture thinks and, and does morality and these kinds of things, but certainly post-Christendom, 
where the church is no longer the defining center. Uh, and the uh, the reputation of the church in many quarters is suspect and damaged. How can we speak with credibility in light of our own credibility issues that we brought on you, ourselves? Uh, you were right, and this is really a dramatic point, is that we're in a post-Christendom era. The church no longer has authority, not even credibility. And because I'm a blogger and a poster, I get responses, and these responses are really nasty. <laughs> uh, they just horrible things. Uh, accused uh, are accused. Uh, religion is accused of, especially um, Christianity. So we're not in a situation in which the Christian voice is welcome. So that's one of the reasons that I'm pressing that I think the integrity of the Christian public voice is so important. Integrity, honesty, hopefully valuable insight, being rational <laughs> uh, instead of uh, you know just simply vituperating. Um, I I'm hoping that these things will uh, carry the day. There is no guarantee because rationality and reason and wisdom are not universally valued anymore. Uh, so it's not just a pluralistic society, but it's a society in which detractors of the common good have now got, you know, a, a heavy voice uh, in terms of uh, sponsoring uh, division and contention, which then leads another task of the public theologian is constantly look, constantly look for bridge building, unity, healing wounds, and uh, things of, uh, of that nature. It might be helpful for listeners and viewers to, to share some examples of public theologians, maybe a few in the past, and any contemporary examples that folks can look to? Contemporary examples. Um, I think um, the best example are our echo theologians. Theologians who are dealing on the basis of religious commitment with the health of the planet, the future of the planet, Celia Dean Drummond, Roman Catholic, I think in Durham in Great Britain, or Cynthia Molo Bida with me here in Berkeley at the Graduate Theological Union, um, who is a Lutheran, and then uh, Rita Sharma, who's a Hindu Dharma uh, scholar. I, I think of these people beginning with their religious commitment, but now dealing with the common good of the whole planet based upon uh, their religious uh, commitments, I think is a good example of public theolo theology, even if they don't call it uh, public theology. And then, of course, those who are uh, passionate about racial justice uh, again, uh, that's for the common good of the whole human race and not just a religious denomination. In my Pathios blog on public theology, which you just uh, mentioned, um, I occasionally do will do an interview with a public theologian. So most recently, it's the public theology of Sharon Delgado, um, who uh, is a Methodist uh, pastor 
and she uh, has uh, a ministry for the planet, the health of the planet, and that includes in her her, her vision um, justice for uh, Native American Amerindians uh, in light of the oil pipeline, for example, going through their land. So you have to have local justice while you have a planetary uh, vision of what the health of the whole is going to look like. So these are the kinds of people I think of uh, immediately when the question of, well, who's a public theologian? Uh, here are some examples. Well, one more really important one. <laughs> Hong Kong and Taiwan are two places in crisis. And I did one uh, blog post, an interview with Kang Fiseng, who is a public theologian, a Bartian, um, a Singaporeese, but uh, living in Hong Kong and teaching there, on the loss of freedom in Hong Kong as uh, Mother China tries to return its children to the womb forcibly. And uh, so there's a very specific contextual example of a public theologian and he has a blog and he's out there marching uh, with the students uh, with regard to uh, freedom of speech in Hong Kong and things of that particular nature. So you could call it political theology because it is that, but it's a uh, public theology as, as well, not that there are two really different things. Those are all very helpful examples and hopefully folks will seek those out. I, I'm wondering what comes to mind for me in the context I work in. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Mirzla Wolf at, at Yale. You pronounce it correctly, yes. Uh -huh. Who does, uh, you know, as you know, the, the great work uh, between Christians and, and Muslims uh, that have this right. historic animosity and this kind of a thing. So there are folks doing this kind of good work uh, that needs to be done much more. Is there anything uh, that I'm missing that you'd like to, to bring out and make known about this topic to the audience? I think uh, you've uh, said it very well, John, just to repeat the two hats. I think the Christian does have a gospel hat in which we uh, teach about the grace of God, the love of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit in turning a person around. That's the gospel hat. That's the church. That's the church's mission. But the other hat, what I call the law hat, uh, is the one in which we speak to the common good of the wider culture without a hidden agenda that somehow would uh, you and I um, could take advantage of. I think that's so important for working on that credibility problem, I think in the long run, integrity will be recognized and um, uh, greeted positively. But in the meantime, I think the public theologian has to lead um, with integrity and a goodwill. So that might be my, uh, my parting shot, John. Well, uh, we had a little challenge getting this scheduled, but uh, I appreciate uh, every time you come on the program, it, it's an exciting conversation, whether it is uh, UFOs and theology <laughs> right. or public theology. I want to thank you so much for being a guest. Well, you keep up the uh, the good work of a public theologian there, John. I'll, I'll continue. <laughs> right. Folks, I want to thank uh, Ted Peters for being here on the program. Please take a look again at the program notes. You'll find a link to his blog, uh, to this journal article, and uh, other materials. Seek out his work. 
and, uh, and find out more about what a public theologian is. To everybody who is watching and listening, thank you so much. Until the next episode.